taking an amount of time, a considerable amount of time practicing for that, and so we appreciate them sharing that with us this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 1 there. Um, put your finger there because we'll probably be, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit this morning uh, as we look at this last of the series on community. We've been looking the last several weeks at how um, we as believers, we as individual believers, need to be a part of community. That if we are to follow Christ, if we are to obey the commands that he has given us, um, much, many of those commands must be done in, in a, a community, in a group of believers. They can't be done in a cave um, on the side of a cliff by yourself. Um, and not only that, but what we've, what we, I hope what we've seen is that those uh, commandments, the picture that Christ paints of unity, um, is best done in small groups. Uh, certainly we do not devalue what we do on Sunday morning. What we do on Sunday morning is vital to who we are. It's vital to our spiritual maturity and to being able to worship the Lord and hear from the Word of God um, as, a, as a church. But many of the commands that Christ gives us for do this to one another, or the New Testament gives us to do this, this or that to one another, um, are best done in a small group of believers who know each other's story um, in a deeper way than what we uh, may be able to do here on a Sunday morning. And that is no more true, I think, than when we talk about accountability. Um, it would be embarrassing, would probably be the lightest term to use, but if we were to, let's say, cut out the children's section and put in an accountability time on Sunday morning. So I would look to you and say, okay, look to the person on your left or your right, and confess to them your sins this week, and then after five minutes, look to the person on the other side and do that with them as well. I think you would probably be looking for a new pastor relatively soon. It would be like, okay, you can change a lot of things, Brian, but that's far enough, all right? And so it just doesn't work well on a Sunday morning, does it? it it's not something that we feel comfortable with, and, and it's not an appropriate time to do that. And so where should we do it? Well, we do it in the context of, of community in a smaller group. It's much more true that way. It's what we see happening, um, and it's something that we should uh, we should be about. And so this morning, as we go through accountability, we're going to be looking at a series of questions about how, what does this look like? How are we to do this? Um, why are we to do this? So hopefully by now you found Galatians chapter 1. If you would stand uh, so that we could honor the reading of God's sacred word this morning. We'll be reading again Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says there, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your house. Lord, we thank you for opportunity, Lord, that we have to share our gifts and our talents, whether it be through singing, or whether it be through the bells that we've heard this morning, or whether it be through uh, a heart of service that you've given some of us, or whether it be through encouragement, or a whole host of things, and, and each one of us can place here for a special reason and, and, and a special time so that we could uh, give to the body, so that we could be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So, Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we think about what it means to be 
the body of Christ where it needs to be a community, that we would be aware this morning of the gifts you've given us to watch out for one another, to care for one another, to have one another's backs. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we hear this word, that we would would open our, our minds and open our hearts Before we dig too far into the questions of accountability, I want to I share with you just a quick story, um, a quick story of why this, is, why this is implanted in my heart the way that it is. When I was growing up, about seventh grade, I met a friend of mine, um, and my friend's name was Mike, and people used to call us the odd couple um, because Mike and I really, on the outside, couldn't have been more different. Uh, I was in seventh grade. I weighed a whopping, like, I don't know, 100 pounds. And Michael weighed a whopping, we'll say 275 to be nice. All right? He was six inches shorter than me. He had spiked black hair. He was into Metallica and ACDC. And I was into Newsboys and DC Talk. Like, we really couldn't, like, I loved sports. He loved making fun of people that loved sports. Um, he His favorite TV, TV show was The Simpsons. My favorite TV show was West Wing as a seventh grader, okay? We, we really couldn't have been any different. But because of, of Christ, we were best friends. We went to church together, and for a long time, the youth group was me and Michael, and that was it. Um, later, we were able to add some more people, but it was really the two of us, and people at the church knew if you saw one of us, the other one was probably not far off. And we were inseparable for probably about five years. And then as I've shared with some of you, and some of you know a little bit about my testimony, my junior year I began to pull back from the church, and in part of that I began to pull back from my friendship with Michael. And at, at, and the two years that followed, some things happened that damaged our relationship and damaged that friendship. And finally the Lord grabbed a hold of me and pulled me back in and and we began to restore that relationship, and Michael and I became, began to become friends again and talk once again. But I noticed as I was watching his life that he was beginning to stray into some things that he shouldn't. I noticed that he was beginning to take a path that I recognized from my own time of pulling away from Christ. And, and I just sat there and I watched it. And my heart broke because I knew what he was going through. I knew where he was, where he was headed, but I didn't say anything. Because I was scared that this relationship that we had put back together, I was scared that if I said something, if I said, Mike, man, what are you doing? Like, I know where this is go- where this is headed, and it's not good places. I was afraid that if I said something, that it would damage our relationship again, that we would go back to where we had been. I was afraid that if I went and said something to Michael, that he would look at me and say, you hypocrite, you did the exact same thing. And I didn't want that. I, I was embarrassed of, of my past that, and, and embarrassed of where I had been the previous two years. And so I didn't want him to throw that back in my face. And so because of the fear, because of the, the guilt and the shame that I carried from my own sin, because of my own pride of, of just not wanting to do something, 
because of all of that, I, I remained silent. And I allowed my, my best friend to take a path that I knew was dangerous. And the end of that story is that as time passed on, Michael began to cut more and more of us out of his life, of those that loved him from the church and those that were his best friends, those of us that were inseparable from him over and, and throughout the years more and more, he began to cut us off where, you know, it went from we would talk to him a few times on phone and text and um, I know this is going to sound even more nerdy, but we're in, we were in a fantasy football league and he dropped out of that and I know that sounds like a minor thing, but that was, that was a big part of how we stayed connected and next thing we know he's not answering our phone calls and then it got to the point where he wasn't answering texts and um, and then pretty soon we had no connection with him whatsoever and michael had completely separated himself from the faith he completely separated himself from friends that cared about him completely separated himself from that part of his life and he's still there today and as i look back over that time i'm I not say something? And it breaks my heart knowing that I had an opportunity, that I had a, a chance, a window there to say something, to shout out warnings, to love on a brother in such a way to bring him back. And I didn't. And I've had to ask for forgiveness of that from him. I've had to ask that forgiveness of that from the Lord. But it made this subject of accountability real to me. It made it help me understand that this isn't something that we read over and then we just let go. And my guess is this morning that there is someone in your mind that you are thinking of, that you know that you care about, who is walking down a path that is dangerous, who is walking a path away from everything that they used to believe in, everything maybe that they still believe in, but they are taking a dangerous path. And this morning you are wrestling with whether do you say something or not. And I hope this morning that you're encouraged. I hope this morning that the word boosts you in that direction to say, to wave down and to, to wave the flag of warning to that friend, to that brother, to that sister. And say, please, please don't go any farther. The Lord loves you. The Lord wants you back. So I hope this morning that, that we're able to do that, that the word is able to inspire you and encourage you in that way this morning. All right, so I want to look at, like I said before, I want to look at several questions this morning. And the question that we're going to start with is the why of accountability. Why do we do this? What is the basis for all of this? And the first of those whys, the first reason that we do it is because the, the Lord has commanded us to rebuke sin. If you look in Luke, 17, like I said, we're going to bounce around a little bit this morning, but if you look in Luke 17, the Lord gives us a clear command. Luke 17, 3 says this. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. We are to rebuke sin if we see it in a brother or sister's life. My guess is, is that if you were to take a poll of pastors and say, what do you see as one of the biggest dangers? What do you see as one of the biggest shortfalls of the church today? Number one, they're probably, most men, most pastors are probably going to say prayer. But closely following that is probably going to be our understanding of sin. We don't take sin seriously. We don't, 
Very rarely do we understand the depth of sin. Very rarely do we take into account the tentacles and the far reach of sin. Very rarely do we understand the fatality of sin. But rather we see it, we see it as something small, and we think, oh, it's no big deal. But that no big deal grows and it festers and it blossoms until it destroys. Sin is never done with just the, oh, it's no big deal. Sin always wants to grow into something that destroys a person, whether it be their reputation, whether it be their character, whether it be their family, whether it be their witness, whatever it may be, sin has the desire and the the nature to get into every crack and crony of, of our lives and destroy us. And yet so often we just tolerate it. We don't understand the hatred that we're to have for it. We don't understand the depth of its destruction. But rather we look at our sin, we look at sin in other people's lives, and we just kind of throw our hands up. Say, well, it is what it is. But Christ gives us a clear commandment here in Luke that we are to rebuke it when we see it. We're to speak out against it not to tolerate it, not to look the other way, but rather to be aggressive towards it. But even in that, Luke, even there in that passage in Luke, Jesus makes it clear that if the person repents, then we're to forgive. That this isn't, this isn't a harsh thing, and th- which leads us back to Galatians chapter 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. We're to, yes, we're to rebuke sin, but the other reason, the other purpose behind accountability is so that we might restore. I told you the story of my friend Mike, and, and my guess is, like I said earlier, that you yourself can probably picture someone in your mind that you're thinking of that you're like, man, I know them, I know where they were, I know what they've said, I know the testimony of their life, and yet I see where they're at now, and oh, how I wish... I wish they would come back. I wish that that they were part of this family again. Not just in name, but also in action. We're not just to rebuke sin for the sake of calling someone out. We're not rebuking someone just in a harshness that says, you know better. But rather, we do so. We rebuke sin. We call it out for what it is because we have a desire or we should have a desire to restore, to bring people back, to pull unity back into the family for not only for their benefit, but for our benefit. So why do we do accountability? We do it because we're commanded to rebuke sin. We do it because we desire to restore, but we also do it because we're supposed to rescue. James chapter 5, we talked about this passage earlier uh, in the year, um, but again, we were reminded, James chapter 5, verse 19 says, My brothers, if any of among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Why do we do accountability? We do it because we're commanded to rebuke because we restore and because we rescue. 
guys have heard over the last couple weeks, and, and I, I think I've, I've mentioned them several times, but Joe Banderman was a, was a powerful influence in my life, and Joe saw the path that I was walking, and Joe never gave up. Joe kept trying to rescue me. Joe, Joe kept pursuing me until the Lord finally grabbed a hold of me, and we were able to come back, and I was able to be restored. We continue to try to get a hold of Michael because now it's a rescue mission. Not because we're worried about ourselves, not because we we think that this or that, but because we love him and because we see him in a place where it's not safe. We see him living in consequences that we wish would never have happened. And when we see, when we observe brothers or sisters walking down that path and some have gone farther than others, we seek to restore and we seek to rescue. That is part of the mission of our church. That's why we exist. Yes, we exist to take out, uh, to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth, starting with Vandalia, but we also exist to protect one another, to, to hold each other accountable so that we may keep each other safe and when one does wander so that we may rescue them so that we may pull them back into the fold so the why of accountability we reduce shame, we restore sin and we rescue but here's the thing anytime you talk about accountability anytime you bring this subject up that says hey if you see sin in the life of a brother that you need to go to them and in compassion you need to to make them aware of that, or anytime we talk about accountability, about rescuing someone or restoring someone, there's always this argument. But what about? But what about? And and in forever and ever, the what about is always go, always goes back to Matthew chapter seven. Go to Matthew chapter seven real quick. You're going to know. You probably already know where we're going with this. But in Matthew chapter seven. Verse 1, it says, Judge not that you that you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the excuse that we give. When we talk about accountability, when we talk about helping a brother out or rebuking sin, this is the excuse that we give as those that are to go and do that. We say, well, it's not my place. It's not my place to speak up. It's not my place to say anything. Look at that verse, Pastor. It says we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't judge. We shouldn't shouldn't try to, to go and to intervene. Is that what it says? Is that what Christ is trying to get across? That we shouldn't protect one another? That we shouldn't hold each other accountable? That sin is, we're to keep our mouth shut when we see it? We should worry about, just worry about ourselves? That's how we've long interpreted it, many of us, to give us an out. And not only that, but for those that we go to, this is the this is the verse that was always thrown back in your face when you go to a brother and say, "Hey, I see this thing in your life, and I'm worried about you." The verse that always gets thrown back is what? You got a log in your eye. Take care of yourself. I'll take care of you. Is it not? 
Is it not? This is the verse that is always used to try to get rid of the out of obedience to the command of accountability. But I want us to take a look at a couple things. First, who's the audience here? Who's he talking to? Who is Christ addressing when he talks about in Matthew 7? He's talking primarily to the Pharisees. He's talking to an audience here, and among them are the Pharisees. He's talking to these people who have made a living out of condemning others. But really, more than just the Pharisees, because we know they were certainly in the crowd, but he's just talking to a crowd of people. He's talking to you and me. And the problem with people is that we have pride. We have pride. And he's saying to these people, you cannot judge other people in your pride. You cannot carry out sentences based on your pride. Because what happens is we begin to look at others so that we can justify ourselves. That's what was happening here. That's who he's speaking to when he says, take the log out of your eye before you take the speck out. Because, And before we get too high and mighty against Pharisees or to the people that Jesus is speaking to, let's look at our own hearts and say, how many times have we looked at someone else and gone, oh, I can't believe they did that. Oh, I can't believe they were a part of that. Oh, my gosh. Man, I'm glad, I'm glad, hey, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a really good Christian because I... I don't do that. You're never going to see me in a tavern. You're never going to see me doing that. Or my sin's not as bad as that sin. Yeah, I may tell a white lie. Yeah, I may watch that television show that I probably shouldn't. And by the way, I'm stepping on my own toes here. Maybe I do this or maybe I do that, but nobody sees it. It doesn't hurt anybody. At least I don't do that. That person is a bad person. Sound familiar at all? That's who he's speaking to. Those that would condemn, those that would judge so that they can make themselves look better, look better, which is the second question. The audience here is the prideful. The audience here is you and I when we're high and mighty. The second question is what's the goal in that? What is the goal in these folks who are prideful, who are or declaring judgment upon these other people it's not to restore they have no desire to bring a relationship back it's not to rescue it's not to give warning of the of the of the consequences that happen with sin it's not to rebuke sin in such a way that it produces holiness but rather it's to make themselves look better it's to put themselves on a pedestal among all that would see and say look at me Look how good a Christian I am. Look at how well I've done these things. You're a horrible person because you do this. The goal here for these folks is not to love on them. It's not to show grace. It's not to show forgiveness. It's not to be the hands and feet of Christ. Rather, the goal of the prideful, the goal of those who Jesus is speaking to here is to make themselves look better and to destroy relationships, to belittle people, to hold them in bondage, not free them, not to set them free. Here's what I want you, here's the last question I'll ask you. Where in here do you see Jesus condemn 
dealing with in this passage. Where in here do you see Jesus condemn accountability? Where do you see him condemn common sense? Jesus says, take care of that log in your own eye. Take care of that pride. Take care of that arrogance. So that what? So that you can deal with yourself. He doesn't say, take care of yourself and I'll take care of that guy. No, he says, take care of the log and then take care of the speck. He does not condemn dealing with sin here. We see in Luke 17 that he says to rebuke it. He doesn't doesn't condemn accountability. Rather, he encourages it. He doesn't condemn common sense. If we see someone, if we see someone in in the way of physical harm, that there isn't a chance that they might get hurt if they continue on with that thing that they are doing, do we not have a responsibility to stop them? In the same way, if we see someone doing something spiritually, if we see them committing sin in their lives that we know is going to hurt them, that we know is going to lead to consequences that we would rep, that we don't want them to have, don't we have a responsibility to warn them of that? Even if it means they get hurt a little. I've used this example, I don't know, a bazillion times in the last year. But if we see someone that's going to get ran over by a car, at the very least we stop. But we call a person who would run and tackle that person out of the way, at the risk of their own life, at the risk of bruises and scrapes, at the, uh, for both of them, we call that person a hero. How much more then, when we see someone who is committing sin, who is in danger, of not being able to live that life abundantly that Christ promises that, how much more then should we tackle them and say, I love you too much to watch you continue to do this? That shouldn't be a person that we throw back snatching seven at them. That that isn't a person that we should say, oh, they should just mind their own business. That's a person that loves. That's a person that understands the depth and the destruction of sin. That's who we should want to be. All right. So we looked at the why. We've looked at the rebuttal. What about the accountability? Or what about the who? What about the who here? We see in Galatians 6 1, if you would go back there, it says, if, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. It's an interesting phrase there, you who are spiritual. Like, we just got done talking about Matthew 7, that we shouldn't be prideful, that we shouldn't be puffed up, that we should, and yet we come back to this verse, and it's, you who are spiritual. And somehow it's like, that seems to go against the whole pride thing. Like, now I've got to be a spiritual person in order to do this. Now I've got to be, like, on some other plane. Maybe, maybe that's just for the pastor there. Maybe that's just for the deacons. Okay? They're, they're the spiritual ones. That's certainly not for me. Let me ask you this question. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? Who receives the Holy Spirit? All of us do. When we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we ask Him for forgiveness, we all receive the Holy Spirit. And we receive it in that moment. Therefore, who is the spiritual? Who are the spiritual? It is all of us. It is the saved. It is the redeemed. In fact, look back 
there in chapter 5. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jump down to 22. Listen carefully and, and tell me if this isn't the person that you want coming to you. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against things there is no there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Not Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, or envying another, one another. And then if it wasn't for the sake of a chapter break, brothers, if any one of you is caught in transgression. We all are to walk in the Spirit. We all are to be the spiritual, to exude these characteristics of patience, of gentleness, of self-control. And if we see a brother who is not exuding those things, who is caught, that, that word is like a bear trap there, who is caught in sin, then we who are spiritual, the redeemed in this room, are to go to that person in gentleness, to use all of the fruits of the Spirit to say, brother, sister, come back. Come back. The Lord wants more for you than this. He wants abundant life for you. Come back. Not only that, it's those who are spiritual, but it's siblings. It's between siblings. If you look at all of these passages that we've looked up to this morning, whether it's Luke or whether it's Matthew or whether it's Galatians or James, who do you see it happening between? It's brothers, if you see a brother. Brothers, if you know of a brother. And, and let's open it up. It's sisters as well, okay? Like, ladies, don't get a high head that somehow you never walk away from the Lord, all right? It's brothers and sisters. We go to them, brother to brother and sister to sister. We do this in-house. We do this in family. We don't hold lost people accountable the way that we hold Christians accountable. We don't go outside these four walls and look at someone who has never received the grace of Christ and say, hey, what's your problem? We take the gospel to them. We take the good news to them. It's a completely different type of rescue mission. Whereas with a brother or sister, we do have the ability to go to them in love and say, hey, I'm seeing this thing. And they should understand that because they have too experienced the grace of Christ. It's a different rescue mission. Accountability of the type that we are talking about today is between siblings. Brother to brother, sister to sister. And 99% of the time, let me just say this, 99% of the time that's the way we see brother to brother. Otherwise, you fall into the second part of that trap of don't allow yourself to be deceived. Okay? Brother to brother, sister to sister, 99% of the time. We should care about our siblings. That's who we should be going to. Last thing, you who are spiritual, between siblings and the church. Okay? The church. Matthew 18, 17. You probably are familiar with this verse. Jesus says, if there's someone that's caught in sin, he, it should be between individuals first. Then it should be between that individual. If they won't listen, one-on-one. -on -one, then you take a group with you, and you deal with it as a group. If they still won't listen to that, then you take it to the church. All right? That's the order. 
doesn't mean, by the way, that that happens like one day after another. It's not like you go to them on a Monday, and if they don't listen Tuesday morning, you, you take the small group over there on Tuesday night, and if they don't listen on Tuesday night, by golly, Sunday, we're calling them up here, and if they don't listen, we're excommunicating them, okay? It doesn't happen in a week. This is time. Grace is given in this case. But accountability is a function of the individual believer, and accountability is a function of the church. We handle it in-house. And what does it say, by the way, there at the end of 17? If they don't listen to church, we're to treat them how? We're to treat them as a Gentile or as a tax collector? The idea there is if they won't listen to the church, then, then treat them like a lost person. Okay, what do we do with lost people? We take the gospel to them. It's not we remove them and forget them about them, but the rescue mission changes again. Remember we talked about that the accountability that we're talking about happens between sister and sister, brother and brother, and the lost, we have a whole different, uh, we have a whole different take. We're taking the gospel to them. So if they won't listen to church, then we treat them like this, and the mission changes. It doesn't mean we forget about them. It doesn't mean that we cast them off and count them as hopeless. We still go after them, just in a different way. So it's those are spiritual. It's between siblings. It's between the church. What about the how of accountability? I promise we're, we're coming down. I know we've covered a lot in this section. What about the how of accountability? What spirit are we to have when we go about this? Galatians 6.1 tells us that we're supposed to be gentle. Now, there are times in my life when gentleness was not the best. I needed a two-by-four. Four. But I can assure you that those swinging the two-by-four were doing it as gently as they could. Okay? It's the gentleness. We don't do this. We don't do this with, a, with an attitude of harshness. We don't go about accountability with an air of superiority. We don't do it as an I, I told you so. Do it with gentleness. We do it with immediacy. Matthew 5, 22 through 26. They're talking really about forgiveness, but the same applies to accountability. We don't wait. We don't wait. Because waiting only lets the sin grow deeper and more entrenched. We do so quietly. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Remember, we just talked about this, that we're to start one-on-one. -on -one. You don't start with the small group. You don't start with the church. You start one-on-one. -on -one. This is not an opportunity for gossip. This is not an opportunity for the news to get out about this person's sin and about how great a person you are for going and rescuing them. This is an opportunity for you to restore someone quietly. In a perfect world, the only two people that know that the accountability meeting ever happened is the two people that were present. We do so quietly. We do so gently. We do so with immediacy. We do so quietly, and we do so humbly. Matthew 7, 1. It does not as we imagine. We understand. We understand that we are not perfect. We understand in accountability that we don't have it all together. We understand that there's still sin in our lives as well. We understand that we must be careful of hypocrisy. And should we ignore accountability? No. Should we ignore sin because we have it? But we should go into the situation understanding that I 
has been saved by grace for perfection. And I am continuing to be sanctified into the image of Christ, and I am not made a candidate for heaven. Thank you so much. Accountability is difficult. Accountability is awkward. Which is why I want to do one more slide commanded not only to be accountable to one another, but we are also commanded to confess. James chapter 5, if you want to turn back there, James chapter 5 reminds us of this. It says there in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is an important aspect of accountability. Why? Well, first, because we're commanded to do it. We're commanded to tell one another, one another our sins. It should be a part of our daily routine to confess to our Lord, to allow him to show us grace and mercy on a daily basis. It's good for us, but we're also commanded to do it to each other on a regular basis. Why? Because it brings healing. James here points out that it brings both spiritual and physical healing. This is what we see happen, and and I've heard so many stories like this, and I've experienced in my own life as well, is that when we don't confess sin, maybe we stop doing it, okay? Maybe the sin happens in our lives, and but we don't confess it. We just kind of put it on a jar on a shelf in our heart and just leave it there. What happens is it still controls us. If we do not confess, it still festers. It's still an infection that spreads through our lives, and it impacts the things that we do because it hides in the darkness in the closet where we don't go. And at the most inopportune time, it pops up its ugly head and says, do you remember when you did this? But when we confess sin, not only to the Lord, but when we confess sin to each other, it pulls it into the light and seals all of its power. And only then can we experience healing from it. Now, understand, this may not this this is difficult, almost impossible to do in a large group. In a small group, it's probably not likely. Okay? Even in a small group, you're probably not gonna feel old really truly comfortable unless you have like the most amazing small group ever truly truly comfortable confessing sin in that in that space but inside your small group my prayer is that you would find men or women that you can confess to that you can meet with regularly and say here's what's going on here's what i'm struggling with here's another important aspect of confession and the reason that i wanted to bring it up this morning because confession Confession like this allows for accountability. Accountability is difficult. Accountability is awkward. Accountability can be scary. It's hard to go to a brother. It's hard to go to a sister and say, I see this in your life and it concerns me. But if we practice confession, it opens the door for accountability. If someone has already been open and willing to to share that with someone else, then that opens the door for accountability to happen in a much deeper way. Both of these are tied together. Accountability and confession and community strengthens community and the individual. 
we will only go so far as the one who stays behind. We've got to go as a group. We've got to go as a team. If one of us is hurting, then it's going to hurt all of us. If one of us is has sin, a sin problem, then it's going to affect all of us. My question to you this morning This is what I would ask. This is what I would ask. For some of you, there is a person that has been on your mind since the moment we talked about accountability, since the moment I shared my story about Mike, there has been a person on your mind that you're like, this person is someone that I care about. This person, though, is walking away from the faith. They are allowing sin to get in the way. This morning, would you pray? Would you pray for the Lord to give you the strength, the Lord to give you the boldness to go on a rescue mission, to restore that which has been lost, to hold someone accountable, not for the sake of shaming them, not for the sake of making yourself look better, but for the sake of their walk with Christ.
because the world would know Jesus.